We are working our way through the Penguin Book of Japanese short stories. Today we've arrived on Bee Honey by Banana Yoshimoto. Let's talk about loss, motherhood, and soothing in this story coming up today. This story be tough to read. <laughs> <laughs> I am Una, and welcome to the Codex Cantina, where we take a conversational approach to the literature that we read. Some of the most important stories that have influenced even today's writers. If you're down for that type of approach, hit that subscribe button to join us. And I am Crypto, and we always start off with publication information. Bee Honey was published in 2000 in Adultery in South America. Our copy was translated by Michael Emmerich. Now, Banana Yoshimoto was actually a pen name for Mahoko Yoshimoto, a Japanese contemporary writer who writes her name out actually in hiragana, which is kind of interesting. Now, she graduated from Nihon University, where she kind of took on this pen name of Banana after the flower, the banana flower, because she basically recognized the flower as both cute and androgynous, which is incredibly appropriate because as we are getting more into some of this author's writings, we see a lot of male-female relationships and that sort of thing uh, being discussed a lot. So we'll start off with themes and this is a first-person narrative, and I think that it's kind of tough to understand a little bit of this because of maybe uh, cultural uh, dissidents. You know, and you're not the only one to express that when it comes to Japanese literature, particularly the way that it's translated. You know, they don't reestablish nouns. They drop things a lot of times once the subject's understood. And that can be hard, one, for coming in mid-conversation, but two, also for translation. How do you translate some of that into English where we constantly reestablish things? So... There's this ambiguity that exists in the Japanese language that may not exist once you translate it in a more natural English-speaking way. But also, additionally, Japanese writing tends to be very emotional. And I don't mean to say that, that they've reached emotions other writers haven't. I don't mean to say that it's this 100% expressive. But the way that the story comes across is meant to be felt more so than intellectually understood is one way to look at a lot of, again, a broad stroke for Japanese writing. So with a story like this, you have to take in consideration mood very often to interpret what the author is trying to convey to you. Let's do a quick plot recap, and then let's go into our discussion and analysis of this story. So for this story, we follow our narrator, a Japanese woman who's staying with a friend after recently becoming separated from her husband. She is staying with a friend in Buenos Aires where she is sitting across from the Casa Rosado, a very famous monument in Argentina, gigantic pink building, Avita ending scene took place there. <laughs> and uh, her friend starts to tell her about this procession of mothers that is coming. They're basically expressing their grief and loss for the disaffected, disappeared children. 30,000 people was, was an estimation where under this government, basically people were kind of taken. And the story kind of really explains that very quickly, very rapidly in a very articulate way. So like we said, the march happens every year to express their sorrow, their determination, and our narrator kind of goes to it and hears the story and listens to this mother talk about how this truck kind of just pulled up in the middle of the night. There were screams, there were in the next day, silence, and there's just blood on the ground. Very heartbreaking to hear. And the narrator kind of tries to process this and processes her own life as she is going through a divorce as well in a form of loss and equating these two losses and, and how do they kind of look compared to each other. And eventually she starts to recall her mother, who was also, you know, she would create these drinks for her called Bee Honey, uh, meant to soothe her, meant to soothe her loss, meant to soothe her her suffering, I guess, in a sense. And uh, that's kind of it for the story. It's not exactly a story that's huge on plot. It's definitely mo more on that 
reverie that our main character experiences. One thing I think you have to do is take consideration that this is a small snapshot of a lady's life and she's contemplating many different relationships as this woman is telling this heartbreaking story about a missing relationship with her, her, her lost child. I like the way the story opens too at the Casa Rosado. We, we get a really interesting, quick historical background that I think some authors, it could come off as boring, but I think Banana just really integrates it into the story seamlessly where we get some of that information. Like we get the tale of how, you know, the building is pink because it was mixed with ox blood and, and that's what kind of created the pink, you know, coloring of the building, which is one explanation. Another explanation is that at the time, the Federalists and the Unitarians basically had the colors of red and white. So another theory is that the colors were mixed together to show unity across Argentina, even though it was split in how they thought they should be run. So whether you're taking the Oxblood story or whether you're taking kind of this different uh, opposing political ideal combation, uh, combating stories, they both represent sorrow. They both represent violence in a sense, too. And I think that theme of sorrow is what kind of ties our narrator into this story, right? She's experiencing this divorce that she's just gone through. And I like the way it's kind of expressed in the story where they say, standing between two mirrors, staring into their distance. Our history together, his and mine, had the near, infinite expanse of a world in miniature, and now I was cut off from all of it. And I like this because I think a lot of us can kind of experience that where when we go through a separation with someone that we've cared about and been with for a while, a lot of things remind us of that person. A lot of moments bring us back into that sorrow, and we start to realize that we're not just human beings in ourselves. We are creatures of society, creatures of connection. And when that connection gets ripped away, in this case, for the narrator, it's the divorce from the husband. She starts to see the husband in this, these reflecting mirrors back and forth and, and how she can experience loss in all of these fine and small, minute moments in her life. And I think that's what kind of draws her to this procession of mothers. It's very strange to compare the loss of a child with a choice to go through a divorce. Why well, I, I say choice. I think do, I, do we both agree that the man was cheating on her? Is, is that something that you gathered from the story? Yeah, that part was tough. So this whole thing kind of pulls me in two different directions where you're comparing levels of, of loss and sorrow, and it feels like they're not equal at all. And because the one is permanent and the one is temporary, and you don't know a lot about the woman, you don't know if this is a mutual divorce, you don't know if anything about it, you know, her husband, you know, anything, if he was abusive or cheating or anything, uh, did she leave him? Did he leave her? I don't know. So to compare these two levels of loss is really hard for me to kind of comprehend. And I understand we do it all the time, like you said, and it's a way that we can empathize, but it, it almost seems like wrong to me in a little way, a bit of a way, because we don't know what's going on with this husband. Yeah, I felt that way too, but I don't know. There was this one line, and maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but but there was this line that said, if only his lover were a nasty, unpleasant woman, which makes me think that in order for him to have a lover, he had to be a, he had to have been cheating on this narrator, right? Yeah, I guess I thought if it's her way of justifying that if he had done this, maybe it is he had done it, and if it the lady that he had cheated on her with was a terrible person. She could have justified it better or she wouldn't have got a divorce. I, I don't know that 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 was the part that, again, I was very perplexed on. 
But I will say I agree with you because my first instinct was the exact same of, man, I don't know if I would compare a divorce with the loss of a child due to like this protest and wicked gut. Like those aren't comparable at all. And I started to think about myself a little bit and try to reflect a little self-reflection. And I have had, you know, trauma happen in my life and, and I don't really want to go into it. And I don't think it's necessary for this video. But the idea is that I found myself suddenly seeing things that were completely unrelated. Like, like I would see a picture of something had nothing to do with my traumatic event, nothing at all. But there might be one little similarity where maybe, Hey, that person has blue eyes and the person, you know, involved in my traumatic event had blue eyes too. And all of a sudden I'm connecting these two where they probably shouldn't be connected, but I am. And I think that speaks to kind of like that dual mirror concept where, you know, your reflections bouncing back and forth ad infinitum, where you don't even start to understand where you end and where the other person begins. And maybe that's true of trauma too, where sometimes that trauma, it doesn't just stay isolated to that one event, but it also was like, it starts to consume other parts of your life too, right? You will lash out at other people, even though they have nothing to do with this trauma. It's this idea of things bleeding over into others. And while at first I had the same instinct of like, this isn't fair, man, you can't compare these. But if you really are an extreme loss, I can understand how you're trying to make sense of this loss and you're trying to get a different perspective. And I think that's what these women are providing to the narrator is almost just a different perspective on what loss and trauma means to her. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's what exactly I was kind of thinking. It was like, as I looked back upon it and I said, okay, so if I have trauma in my life, it may not be the same as someone else's, but it's mine. And to me, it's my worst experience ever. To them, that's their worst experience ever. It's tough to compare those two, no matter how bad or worse each one is, but it does put each other's views in perspective and, and give you a little better realization into another person's life. And maybe that's what she's doing here. And you know what's even weird, too, is these mothers are coming out in public to do this protest. So they are falling under the gaze and perception of everyone else there, like specifically putting it out there. And I, I just recently saw a video from our friend Pay over at Attention, and he just covered this no exit by Sartre. And he talked about gaze. And, you know, in the definition, it's the idea of it's when you become aware, like you're, you're aware of perception of other people. And, and I can't help but think about this idea of loss and trauma and how the parade is meant to put it out there almost as a form, like the idea of by have, having visibility into it allows some type of catharsis, some way to expel the bad feelings that these characters had. And I can't help but wonder, you know, when, when the narrator is going through her loss, is she looking at what's my way of getting out of this? How do I improve things? Because we, I don't know how you thought, but I assume that she might have been a little bit older because we kind of had one of those quotes where they say, at your age, two or three years doesn't matter. And I'm starting to wonder what exactly that meant. And I'm wondering if they're starting to talk about that idea of starting a family and moving on. And she's saying, well, hey, at your age, two or three more years isn't as big of a deal. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that what Banana has done here is taken very ordinary um lady and put her in not maybe an extraordinary situation but a unique situation and 
she's told this great loss compared to this other loss and she has taken this and we can reflect upon oneself and made it very public and that's something that we don't like to do we don't like to air out our grievances or we don't like to talk about our emotions everything's got to be kept secret right you you can't cry in public and here are all of these women going out and saying these are the terrible things that have been done to us and we're going to almost wear it as a badge of honor yeah well and there's also this quote where she says sorrow never heals we simply take comfort in the fact that our pain seems to fade and I almost kind of wondered, like, how does this conflict or or exist in the story about how these women, year, like, they talked about how the women are now, could be grandmothers, right? They weren't, they weren't grandmothers. They could be grandmothers because it's been years since their children left and maybe their children didn't have grandchildren before they left, which was a very, I think, emotional way to express that. The, these mothers who could, you know, who could be now grandmothers, you know, and the, and the fact that she's saying here that pain seems to fade and here's these women still experiencing pain years later and still trying to express, I don't know, is it a warning message? Is it a way of, of expressing of grief and moving on? I don't know. It, it just definitely made me challenge my own perception of, of what to expect here, I think. I think another thing it does is it's that idea of them collectively doing it together that they're stronger together and that they can make a difference if they support one another in the hopes that this won't happen again. And I think for the narrator, she's seeing that I'll be okay on my own. I can be independent, but maybe I can be stronger together. Do I need my husband or not? Uh, it, it's interesting how complex all of this story is in a simple, not mundane, but, you know, a lady sitting on a park bench talking to another lady about, you know, these tragedies that happened to all these women. It's, it's very, very fascinating. Right. And that comes back to our concept, too, of those two mirrors reflecting where we have quotes where like, I thought we had become a family, but in reality, we were just two strangers doing our best to compromise. You know, and then one of the last lines of the story was, will I ever become a mother myself? Oof. So. That's yeah, deep, right? I, yeah, <laughs> and you, you tie that in with the loss of, you know, these mothers and their children, and now I'm starting to think of like, well, okay, maybe it's not totally unfair because, yes, the divorce was her choice, or well, their choice, really, kind of, of what happened, but it's not just the loss of a husband, it's a loss of herself, and maybe even potentially the loss of a family, too. You know, will she ever remarry? What What is her age in, in two to three years not mattering when it comes to having a child? Uh, I start to realize that maybe there is a lot more to to loss and grief just based on, I don't know, there's a lot more factors into it than I thought I was giving it in the beginning. And I think that's an important thing that literature can do is, is challenge my own expectations and perceptions on what things mean to us. And we start to realize that there maybe are more layers to people than just what we see on the outside. Yeah, I guess you could say that, you know, these ladies' lives and this woman's lives are living parallels to one another. And that the the ladies that have lost their children have determination to make their lives better. And that maybe she's gaining inspiration to make her life better. No matter what the outcome, you have to keep still fighting and moving forward. 
So we'd love to hear what your guys' thoughts are down below. We're going to leave a playlist for more Banana Yoshimoto stories as we get to them. We've got some plan like Kitchen coming up later on this year. We'd love to have you guys join us on that journey. Let's move into our reader's review where we just talk about what this story meant to us. It's not meant to be any form of objective reality. It's more of just about how did it hit us and could we recommend it? Crypto, what are you going to give this one? I loved this story. I thought it was a great story. It For me, it was a struggle to read, I think, because of the disconnect of cultures. I think that, you know, not understanding motherhood is obviously going to be a big hurdle for me. Uh, but overall, I think that there's a great message here. And I think that you hit the nail on the head is it gives you perspective and can give you an inter monologue to your own loss and maybe be empathetic or sympathetic to those that are going through something similar, worse or not worse, and be like, you know, hey, yours may not be as bad as mine or maybe worse than mine, but we can get through this together. And that collective identity, like these women coming together about the loss of their children. So I'm going to give this one an awesome 8.5, knocked out of the park. I, I would echo everything that you said and give it an 8.5 as well. Very emotional story, and I highly enjoyed it and recommend it. So if you guys are looking for more literature discussions like this, we post videos every Monday and Thursday. Hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. Una out. Peace.